Well, good morning. Thank you once again for joining us for our Sunday morning worship service. Of course, you may not be watching this on Sunday morning. Uh, However, whatever time you are watching this, I pray that you will be blessed and encouraged as we spend this time in worship together and sitting under God's word. I want to share with you just a couple of quick updates and prayer items that I shared last week. We had our ministerial prayer time at Bayside this last Wednesday morning, and so I want to thank all of you who set aside a little bit of time past Wednesday to pray for Bayside, to pray for the residents and the staff there. I know just hearing the feedback uh, from them that it was greatly appreciated, and just simply being reminded that they haven't been forgotten and that a lot of people are still thinking of them and praying for them meant a lot. And so let's continue to remember uh, Bayside and, and the staff there, the residents, as they have to continue in this lockdown for uh, an indefinite period of time. Secondly, uh, just another praise item. I had shared about a uh, prayer request for Marlene Harms's, uh family. Her twin brother and her sister-in-law had been in a motorcycle crash. And so the update on that is, is that both of them have come through multiple operations and are recovering. And so they're just very thankful to be alive and, uh, yeah, just praising uh, the staff for their response. And, uh, and Marlene uh, and Vern are just very thankful uh, to God for, for them being alive and on the road to recovery. So there's a praise item Uh, to pass along today. Uh, I'd like to also just again remind you of uh, the opportunity to continue to worship through giving of tithes and offerings and so you can do that of course by sending a check through the mail to P.O. Box 969 Clarny, Manitoba R0K1G0 or you can come in person and drop off your offering here in the church foyer. There is an offering box located here for you to do it that way as well. I would now invite you to unite with me in prayer, so let's bow and talk to our Father. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your unfailing mercy and goodness to each one of us, your children. We thank you, Lord, that in all circumstances of life, whether the times are good or especially when the times are, are troubling and hard, that you are near to us and that you hear our prayers and that we are invited, because of Jesus, to come before your throne of grace to make our prayers and requests and to find help in our time of need. And so that is what we do today, Lord. As we continue to come before your throne of grace, we worship you that you are in control in all circumstances of life. We thank you that you love us and that your grace is here for us. And so, Lord, today we thank you, first of all, for your continued provision for Bayside Uh, For the residents in their isolation, we pray that you would continue to be a constant companion to them and continue to protect them. We pray for the the staff as they continue to care for them and and especially become their family in a real sense during this time while other family are not able to visit. And so we pray that you would undertake for them, keep them safe, and give them the strength and energy and love that they need day by day. We continue to pray, Lord, for a resolution to the the virus situation uh, facing our country and the world. And we pray, Lord, that you would work uh, in and through all of these circumstances to bring about your will for your glory. And we pray that we, your people, your children, that we would have hope in these times and that we would live out this hope to the world around us, that, that they would see a difference in us 
And so we pray, Lord, that you would just multiply our witness in these times. And we pray that if there is any who are seeking you in this time, may they be found uh, by you, Lord, and come to you in faith. And so we pray, Lord, increase our witness. And even as this word goes out today, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just work in and through it and that you would speak through me, your servant, I pray. And Lord, even as uh, we recognize that there's many trials yet ahead, we thank you that you are providing and you will continue to provide. And so we thank you for that promise. And so we ask that you would bless your word, speak through me, your servant, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I would invite you now to take your Bibles and turn with me to our scripture reading for today, which is taken from 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 3 to 9. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 3 to 9. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So far the reading of God's word. My sermon for today is entitled, Trials Refining Our Faith. Trials Refining Our Faith. Would you bow with me once more? Father, thank you for this word that we have just heard, and I pray, Lord, that as we dive into it, that this truth would penetrate our hearts and our minds, Lord, to recognize that in trials, you are still sovereign, and in fact, you are often working through our trials to bring about a greater good and a greater glory than we can see when times are good. And so I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts to receive the message and to apply it to our lives even in the coming days, I pray in your name. Amen. In a Washington Post article taken from 1987, it tells the true story of a commuter flight from Lewiston to Boston. The pilot, Henry Dempsey, heard an unusual rattling noise near the rear of their 15-passenger Beechcraft 99 aircraft. He then turned the controls over to the co-pilot and went back to investigate. As he reached the tail section, the plane hit an air pocket and Dempsey was tossed against the rear door. Upon impact, he quickly discovered the source of the mysterious noise. It seems that the rear door had not been properly latched prior to takeoff. And upon Dempsey being thrown into the door, it flew wide open and he disappeared headfirst into the open void beyond. While hearing the noise, the co-pilot, Paul Boucher, looked over his shoulder and he was shocked to see the door wide open and Dempsey was gone. He immediately raided the nearest airport and reported that the pilot had fallen out of the aircraft. 
and requested an emergency landing and an immediate helicopter search of the area of ocean that they were crossing. However, after the plane landed, the rescue team who rushed to the scene was utterly astonished to find Henry Dempsey somehow still clinging to the outside of the aircraft. It seemed that he had fallen face first against the door, which had left him hanging upside down with only his feet tucked inside the door jam, and then his hands desperately clinging to the aircraft's cable railings. And so there, at some 4,000 feet high in the air, and traveling along at well over 200 miles per hour, Dempsey had clung to the side of that aircraft. And he had continued to hold on right through their 100 mile per hour landing, where his head managed to avoid hitting the runway with only a scant six inches of room to spare. In fact, Dempsey had held on to that aircraft so tightly that it took the airport rescue personnel several minutes to just pry his fingers from their death grip on that cable. After his harrowing ordeal, all that Dempsey had reportedly said was this, I'm just glad to see the sunrise today. Now, in a similar way, we are living in turbulent times, and perhaps not quite as extreme as Dempsey hanging headfirst out of an aircraft at 4,000 feet. But nonetheless, in this time of turbulence, there is uncertainty all around us. And some of us might feel a little bit like Dempsey, just barely hanging on and wondering how much more we can take. Now, some Christians begin to wonder why God would allow his children to go through difficult times, times of uncertainty, times of trial, times even of persecution. There's a common misconception that's propagated by many so-called prosperity gospel preachers. And the idea is that once you are saved, then you are shielded from trouble and God will make you healthy and wealthy. But I can tell you from biblical truth, as well as from personal experience, that faithful Christians can still face great troubles and trials. Christians can still face bills that they can't pay. Christians can still face marital crises. Christians can still have strokes and heart attacks. Christians can still get cancer. Christians can still have rebellious children. Christians can still die in car accidents. Christians can still have to stand at the grave of Peter. A parallel passage later on in the, in the letter, chapter 4, verse 12, Peter writes to the persecuted church these words. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery trials that have come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. You see, Peter's saying we shouldn't be surprised that this is something unusual. He's hearkening back, of course, to our Lord Jesus, who said to his disciples, if they persecuted me, your master, they will also persecute you, disciples. So we are told repeatedly this should not come as a surprise to us. And you see, in fact, since the very beginning of the Christian church, followers of Jesus Christ have had to endure an almost unimaginable variety of fiery trials, ordeals, and suffering. For as a result of their devotion to Christ, many in that first century church were threatened, 
imprisoned, beaten, flogged, exiled, and faced many other forms of persecution. Some of them paid the ultimate price and were martyred by being beheaded, crucified, stoned, pierced with spears, burned alive, or thrown to wild animals in the Roman arenas. But these fiery trials didn't just happen in ancient times. In fact, right now, today, there are countless millions, millions of born-again followers of Jesus Christ suffering and even dying right now in countless countries all over our world. This is happening as we speak. So, of course, most of us here in Canada, we have not yet faced overt physical persecution for our faith in Christ. However, that could change much more quickly than we like to think. Now, on this, I could be mistaken, and in fact, I really hope that I am. But in my mind and in my spirit, I am increasingly beginning to see and to sense that we as the Canadian church, that we are on the cusp of facing much more opposition and possibly even persecution for living out our faith in Jesus Christ in the coming years than perhaps we have ever thought of before. But whatever the case may yet be, and whatever fiery trials that may yet come in whatever form, the Bible also tells us that God has some very good reasons for allowing these fiery trials to come our way. And in fact, it tells us that he has a wonderful provision to empower us to keep holding on to him in faith, regardless of how turbulent the times. And so now let's take a closer look at why God allows suffering and trials to come our way. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Peter writes, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And so the first point I'd like to bring to your attention today from this text is this. Enduring trials prove that our faith is genuine. Enduring trials proves that our faith is genuine. Here we see Peter compares our faith to something precious, the most precious thing that he could think of, which is gold. And so he writes, These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. Now let me ask you, what is the one sure way that you can prove the difference between fool's gold and true gold? Now I can remember as a kid, um, you know, being a, a, a wannabe prospector, and I remember we had this rock pile out in the field, and I would go out there, and the one day the sun was shining, and I saw all this glittering, what I thought was gold, on these rocks. And I thought, wow, I found gold, I'm going to be rich. And so, of course, I went and gathered all these rocks up with this, this on it, and then, of course, my older brother comes along, very quickly bursts my bubble, and says, that's fool's gold, Danny, and you're a fool for believing you are rich. Well, of course, you know, Big brothers like adding things like that. 
And of course, I couldn't tell the difference. To me, it looked like real gold. So how can we tell the difference? What's one sure way to tell the difference between real gold and fool's gold? Well, you put it in the fire. You put it in the fire. For what looks like gold is proved to be gold when in the fire it does not lose its nature, its weight, or its color. The fire proves the gold to be the real deal. But if it's only that pyrite or fool's gold that I was tricked by as a kid, if you put that in the fire, it will soon turn black and brittle and can then be immediately thrown out because it is proven to be completely and utterly worthless. It's not the real deal. And it's the same way with our faith in Jesus Christ. Peter is saying that in these fiery trials, when we are put into them, and yet our faith remains, this proves that our faith is genuine. However, if in facing some sort of trial or ordeal or suffering and, and put into this circumstance, the first thing that our faith does is simply turn away and shrink back or just be rejected altogether, well, then it's proven itself to be a phony faith, not genuine, not real, and therefore worthless. And so let's consider once more the original context of Peter's statement. Remember, he was writing to Christians who quite possibly could have been risking their very lives just to gather together as the church to hear Peter's letter being read out loud. Remember, they didn't have copies of Bibles for themselves. They, they would have a rare opportunity to get together and hear someone read one of the apostles' letters. And so imagine getting together just to hear one time the reading of this letter and knowing that if someone reported them, they could very easily be arrested, dragged away, and to face the very real fiery trial of being told either renounce faith in Christ or die. And many of them had to face that crucible. This was the case for Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna. And he was scheduled at last to be burned at the stake. And he was carried before the proconsul of Rome and told that if he would but renounce Christ, he would be released. And Polycarp answered, 86 years have I served him, and he never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who hath saved me? And now do you think that any of those early Christians could have faced those trials in, in that way and endured even to the point of being burnt at the stake with a phony faith? Of course not. It, it, no one's going to, to willingly risk suffering, imprisonment, or death with something that's not real. And so the fiery trials prove whose faith is genuine and whose is not. One man who knows as much or more about facing and enduring suffering and persecution than probably anyone else is Pastor Richard Wormbrand. He is, of course, the founder of Voice of the Martyrs and spent a total of 14 years imprisoned and tortured by the communist police of Romania. Three of those 14 years he spent completely in solitary confinement, not seeing anyone save his torturers for three long years. Wormbrand said years later, 
There are two kinds of Christians. Those who sincerely believe in God and those who just as sincerely believe that they believe. You can tell them apart by their actions in decisive moments. And so let me ask you, do you sincerely believe in God or do you only sincerely believe that you believe? You see, genuine faith is proved by our actions when facing the hour of trial. Jesus said in a similar way, by their fruit you will know them. By their fruit, how will you respond in the moment of testing? And of interesting note here is that, of course, this test is not for God's sake. Because you see, God, of course, already knows whether or not our faith is genuine. He sees our hearts. The benefit of this proving or testing of our faith is not for God, but for us. And so when we come through a trial and we see that within ourselves you are still trusting and holding fast to the Lord in faith, this is the greatest assurance you can have that your faith is genuine. And if, perhaps in facing a trial, you suddenly realize that looking within yourself, your faith is is shaken and perhaps it has left you wanting. Perhaps you've, you've considered rejecting your faith in the Lord altogether in an hour of crisis. And if that is so, and if that's where you are right now, then let that be your wake-up call to throw yourself on the Lord's mercy in true repentance and faith. And so now, not only do trials and suffering prove our faith genuine, Peter says, we move on to our second point, where Peter reveals that enduring trials purifies and strengthens our faith. Enduring trials purifies and strengthens our faith. Verse 7. Your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. Now here as we continue further on into Peter's illustration of the refining process that gold goes through in order to remove the impurities. And in this process, first raw gold is placed into the, the kiln, into the fire. And there the intense heat of the fire melts the metal down into a liquid form. And when this happens, the dross, or the impurities, will float up to the top. And there those impurities can be skimmed off, leaving the pure gold behind. And this results in a gold that is more pure and more valuable than it was before it went into the fire. And the same process is used for silver. A silversmith will place raw silver in the furnace and leave it there in the fire until he can see his own image reflected on the surface of the silver. And this is similar to what God does with us as well. He puts us in the fire and he will leave us there just long enough until he can see his image reflected in our lives. For you see... Just because our faith is proven genuine does not mean that it's as pure or as strong as God yet desires it to be or to become. You see, there could very well still be impurities within us that God wants to remove. And the only sure way to do that is within the fires of testing. Consider when God asked Abraham, to take his only son Isaac and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. 
Didn't Abraham already have faith? Hadn't Abraham already left his home and went off to an unknown land? Hadn't he already believed God's promise that he would become the father of a great nation? Well, of course, Abraham, he had already believed all those things. Of course, Abraham had faith. So why then the test? Why would God put him to such a crucible as to sacrifice his only son? Well, it's simple. God was still purifying and strengthening Abraham's faith even further. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 3 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. What greater test could any man have than the one that Abraham faced that day? And yet in passing that test, Abraham's faith was strengthened. Perseverance grew within him. And if he faced that test, what other test could there be that would trip him up? And so when we face trials of many kinds, in those moments we may question God. And we may wonder whether or not he is really there, or if he really cares, or if he would really love us, he would allow us to go through this, to bring us to such a test. But it is in those times of intense suffering and trials and tests that in faith, when we hold on to God, we cling to him, it is then that we sense and we see and we experience God at work, refining scooping away those impurities, burning out the things that just don't belong, and in that coming along behind, strengthening our faith in ways that would have been otherwise impossible when times were easy. Now some of you today might well be in the the middle of some sort of personal crisis or trial right now. But rest assured God will not begin a work and then stop halfway. He will continue that refining process right up until the day of completion. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 promises us this, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of completion in Jesus Christ. You see, God's not into half-finished projects. I might be. I might have a few of them in my garage right now. But God isn't. God finishes everything that he starts. And if he has begun that good work of salvation in you, even if you are in the middle of the fire of the refining process right now, trust that he will see it through to completion. So always remember the end result of whatever your trial might be will be a stronger faith and a closer and more pure relationship with the Lord. For though we may not yet see the benefit of our suffering today, keep holding on. Keep holding on because it is coming. There is a poem that goes, He sat by the fire of sevenfold heat as he watched the precious ore, and closer he bent with a searching gaze as he heated it more and more. He knew he had ore that could stand the test, and he wanted the finest of gold, to mold as a crown for the king to wear, set with gems of price untold. So he laid our gold in the burning fire, though we fain would have said him nay, 
and he watched the dross that we had not seen as it melted and passed away. And the gold grew brighter and yet more bright, and our eyes were so dim with tears as we saw the fire, not the master's hand, and questioned with anxious fears. Yet our gold shone out with a richer glow as it mirrored a form above that bent o'er the fire, though unseen by us, with a look of infinite love. Can we think that it pleases his loving heart to cause a moment of pain? Ah, no, but he saw through the present cross the bliss of eternal gain. So he waited there with a watchful eye, with a love that is strong and sure. And his goal did not suffer a bit more heat than was needed to make it pure. No matter what trials, no matter what troubles, no matter what suffering you are dealing with today or will ever deal with, remember that your loving Father is in control of the process. He is in control of the process. And when you grasp the fact that God is the one leading you through the fire, then you can rejoice even in the toughest moments of your life. In fact, that is what Peter encourages us to do. Look back with me now to verse 6 as we consider our third point. Our third point is this. Trials teach us to rejoice in our salvation regardless of temporary circumstances. Verses 3 to 6. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now I want you to notice here how Peter says that the trials are only for a little while, while in contrast our salvation is an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It is secure in heaven for us forever. And it is in this that we can and should rejoice. Because remember, our trials are only for a little while. Our trials are temporary, but our salvation in Christ is forever. In his book, From Suffering to Triumph, Richard Wormbrand writes, A brother who had been terribly tortured by the communist police shared the same prison cell with me and told the following incident. I once saw an impressive scene in a circus. A sharpshooter set out to demonstrate his skill. In the arena was his wife, with a burning candle on her head. From a distance, he shot the candle so that it fell, leaving his wife unharmed. Later, I asked her, Were you afraid? She replied, Why should I be? He aimed at the candle, not at me. I thought about this when I was under torture. Why should I be afraid of the torturers? They don't beat me, they beat my body. My me, my real being, is secure in Christ. I was seated with him in the heavenly places. This, my real person, could not be touched by them. 
What an incredible difference having that eternal perspective makes as we face our trials today. This world and all its trials are temporary, only for a little while, but heaven, salvation with Jesus is forever. And so in this, we greatly rejoice. Romans 5, 1 to 4, Paul does exactly that. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And so we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And so... We too, like Peter, like Paul, like Richard Wormbrand, we too can learn this lesson, that trials teach us to rejoice in our salvation regardless of our temporary circumstances. And now fourth and final. Our trials will result in greater glory for our Lord Jesus Christ. Our trials will result in greater glory for our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, verse 7. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. One of my favorite quotes shared by G.K. Chesterton, taken from the Westminster Catechism, says this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Let me say that again. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You see, each of our lives, yours and mine, it is designed by our creator to glorify our creator. We are designed by God for God. Our lives are to reflect his glory. Just as Jesus reflected his Father's glory, we were adopted into God's family, and so we too are designed to now reflect God's glory. And in our suffering, as we hold on to him in faith, the world sees this, and though they can't understand it, it glorifies him and brings greater praise, glory, and honor to Jesus Christ. And Peter says that on the day that he is revealed, all of this will bring him greater glory. Now, to the non-believing world, this all just seems upside down and backwards. They might look at us and just think we're crazy. In fact, there's a great story told of how one day this person who was, who was deaf was, was walking through a subway. And around the corner, a fiddler began to play an upbeat tune. But the, the deaf individual could not see the fiddler playing, and to his eyes, what he could see right in front of him was suddenly all of the commuters waiting for the subway train began to dance right before his very eyes. And he just thought they'd gone crazy. What is with all these wackos dancing here in the subway? But all the while around the corner, what he could not hear, they could. The music to which they danced. And so too, to the watching world, we might look a little unusual, dancing, rejoicing, even when it looks like everything's going wrong. But that's because we hear the music of heaven playing. Jesus is coming, my friends, and if your salvation is, is secure in him, you can dance 
no matter what's going on around us. And yeah, someone else might look at you and think you're a wacko, but so be it. Because if they ask you, why are you dancing? You can say, don't you hear the music? Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming, my friends. And so too, Peter would be one of those dancing to that unheard song to the rest of the world. Because in John chapter 21, verse 19, Jesus had just finished restoring Peter with his threefold questions of Peter, do you love me? And then his instructions of feed my sheep. And Jesus then indicated to Peter that he would die by the death of crucifixion, saying that your arms will be stretched out. And then in verse 19 we read, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. You see, even as Peter was writing the very words that we've been studying today, he already knew, Jesus had in fact told him that a painful death by crucifixion was still ahead. But Peter also knew that by it, he would glorify God. And so he did not turn away in fear. And early church tradition tells us that when Peter died as a martyr, he was given the choice of how he should die. And he said, I'd like to be crucified upside down because I'm unworthy to die as my Lord died. And so in faith, Peter followed Jesus, seeking to glorify him in his life and in his death, and then went on to glory with Jesus forever. And so today, my friends, however trying we may think our times may be, or however many trials are yet ahead of us, may we remember today from God's word that enduring trials proves our faith is genuine. Enduring trials purifies and strengthens our faith. Third, trials teach us to rejoice in our salvation regardless of the temporary circumstances. And finally, our trials will result in greater glory for our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, we seek nothing more than to glorify you with our lives, with our obedience, with our words, and Lord, even in our suffering and even in our death. For, Lord, we know, and your word tells us, that death is not the end. No, it is just a doorway to eternal life forever with you in glory. And in this we rejoice. And so, Lord, I know that all of us are facing some pretty troubling times in the world, and I know that others are facing individual circumstances and crises and trials, and yet, Lord, you are more than sufficient for every last one of our needs, no matter what comes. Help us to remember that in these times, they are but temporary. But for a short while, we may have to go through some difficult things. But what is secure forever in heaven is salvation with you. And nothing can take that away. Not even Satan himself can pluck it from us because you are the one who has guaranteed it and you are greater. And so, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us by your word in this time. Give us confidence and hope. And may the faith that you have given each one of us grow in these times. May it be strengthened. May it be purified. 
for this is your will and your desire for each one of us. We agree with it. We welcome it. Even if it hurts, do your work. Have your way in us. We bless your name. We love you. And we thank you that you are our Savior. In your name we pray. Amen. May God bless you. Have a good week.